But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello once again and welcome to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. We're excited for our next episode looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. My name is Tyler Alberson and with me is Andy Baumberger. Hey Tyler, excited to be back at it again. Uh, looking forward to getting into uh, into 1 Peter today. Yeah, definitely looking forward to this text, looking forward to this study. But before we get into that, you told me right before we hit the record button that you had a little bit of a surprise for me coming off of what we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah, I was I was just really inspired by our discussion last week um, to to search for for some wisdom. And, um, you know, I did the hard work so our listeners didn't have to of actually going back in your Facebook, old Facebook post. And I just wanted to share some some great insight from uh, from young Tyler Alverson. Uh, here's one from April 8th. 2012 Easter dot 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 a day you eat all the candy inside that was a really good one Tyler <laughs> yeah that's very uh very spiritual post there about Easter yeah yeah, yeah really <laughs> spiritually minded yeah. <laughs> we, we we know it was on your brain that's right uh, hey those uh those Reese's eggs man can't beat those <laughs> they're, they're tempting they're good stuff that's good stuff and then you I'll have more. I just share one more, one more. Okay. And we'll, we'll save, we'll save some more for another time, maybe. Maybe we can make this into a weekly, weekly segment. Oh, but uh, this, I, payback it, is rough. <laughs> uh, April twenty eighth, two thousand twelve. If you haven't played racquetball, then you haven't lived. So that's it. Yeah, that's pretty oh. good. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I was expecting more there. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in myself about <laughs> about that. You know, honestly, I I've only played racquetball maybe twice. Well, so <laughs> then you haven't lived. You haven't lived. I guess I've before. only truly lived two times in my <laughs> whole guess, life. I guess so. I guess so. But you, Andy, the, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. I appreciate it. I guess. I mean, I guess that's all I can say is thanks. Yeah, you're very welcome, and I, I really did it for the listeners, you know. I'm, I'm always thinking about uh, what our audience wants to hear, what will be, you know, most uplifting for them, so um, you're welcome, everybody. Well, I hope they appreciate it more than I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'll just make a big transition here from looking at posts uh, from my Facebook in 2012 mm-hmm. to looking at what Peter wrote in 2,000 years ago. So yeah, uh, Much more edifying, I'm sure. Yeah, how how about that for a transition? <laughs> Good segue. Yeah, so today we're going to be studying in First Peter chapter two, verses one through ten, and looking at some really powerful ideas. Uh, Andy, like you have the last few weeks, you want to kind of introduce this text to us before we read it and walk through it together. Yeah, yeah. We in this in chapter two here again, we see you know Peter's just continually building on. Um, his argument, what he's what he's telling us about about who we are in Christ, this idea of of being born again. And we're going to see the same themes uh, continued. We'll see that in verses one through three about um, kind of what it looks like to be a born again person, what it looks like to be holy. And then he further roots us in our identity and who and who Jesus is and who that makes us to be. And then also what God expects for us in the world, what he's set us apart for, what our purpose is, all things that we've kind of touched on, but, but Peter's going to kind of build that out and flesh it out even more. We, 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 I think we'll be really um, encouraged and edified by the things that, that God says about, about us and what he um, has for us in this life and what he has called us uh, to be. And so we, we see a lot of that um, in this, in this section here about being, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A lot of um, imagery uh, taken from, you know, God's chosen people in Israel, the way he talked about Israel in the Old Testament, 
and we'll see how that that applies to us as well. Yeah, um, and it certainly, like you said, builds off of what we talked about in chapter one, the couple times that that we studied there, uh, with the word therefore in chapter two and verse one. Again, it's cheesy. You've heard me say it before, but when you see the word therefore in scripture, you got to look and see what it's there for. So we're we're continuing to build off of the last few conversations that we've had about God's blessing, God's salvation, holiness, how we have been, like you said, born again of this imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God that endures forever and never changes. So how should we respond to that? How should we live in view of that? Uh, We're going to do something just a little bit different as we read the text. We're going to divide this text up into a couple of different parts. Uh, Let's start, Andy, by reading verses one through three. Uh, If you'd like to read those, we can discuss those a little bit, then we'll move on to verses 4 through 10. Okay, sounds good. I'll read for us. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Perfect. So when we look at chapter 2 and verse 1, we transition here into the second chapter of this great letter. We see the word therefore, like I mentioned just a moment ago. But then as you continue reading in verse 1, it seems that Peter mentions a few different attitudes that we're to put away, that we're to get rid of. Andy, what stands out to you about those few attitudes that Peter lists there in verse one. Yeah, this is, this is this, this is, these are the things that I think we all can sometimes see in our hearts that uh, we don't want to be. This is, this, this, these are hindrances to holiness, the kind of holy people that God wants us to be that we talked about um, in chapter one, thinking about malice. I think about a kind of a, a vicious hatred in your heart, deceit being a, an untruthful person, same a similar idea with hypocrisy, envy, all all slander. And this is this stands in contrast to the eternal word, the good news that was preached to us that caused us to be born again that we saw at the end of chapter one. And because of that good news about the new people that we can be, Peter is saying, you gotta get rid of all that that old stuff, the, the bitterness in your heart, the malice, the envy, the hypocrisy that, that makes you live in, a life inconsistent with that good news that, that has been preached to us. And, and I think about just the, the eternal word that, that lasts forever that Peter is talking about. God wants to get rid of us the things that aren't fit for eternity. God wants to remove from our hearts and our lives anything that is not uh, fit for a life with him forever. And so that's why we've got to put all that away so that we can be, be that new kind of person that God wants us to be. I like the word all in verse one. And even you said it a couple of times as you were talking there so powerfully about what Peter says, you know, you notice this word shows up three different times in this verse, therefore putting aside, putting away, get rid of, it doesn't matter where it goes. It's like you're just taking it and throwing it over your shoulder. You don't care where it lands. You just want it to be away from you. So he says, put aside, put away all, number one, malice. Then you keep reading all, number two, deceit. And then you keep reading number three, all slander. God doesn't want us to just remove some of these things. Sometimes we can justify ourselves in in some of these feelings and we can say, well, you know, I don't have any bitter hatred or malice in my heart towards anyone, but I am kind of envious of this person, or we might try to justify, I'm not deceiving this person, but I'm tearing them down. I'm slandering them. I'm making other people think negatively about them. We, We justify, we seek to justify some of the wrong things that we do, some of the wrong attitudes that we have. And here's Peter saying, you got to get rid of all of this. You have to get rid of every single piece of this in your life because it does stand in contradiction with holiness. It does stand with in contrast with the good news, the gospel 
that has been preached to us at the very end of First Peter chapter 1 and verse 25. So when I read through verse 1, I need to be thinking about my life. How am I doing with this? Do I have any malice in my heart? Am I living a life of deceit or hypocrisy or envy? Am I talking bad about people? Even if it's true, am I tearing them down and trying to make other people think less about a specific person because I don't think very highly about them. So these are some attitudes that we have to get rid of and we have to get rid of them in their entirety. So at the end of verse one, we have these five sinful attitudes that we want to get rid of. But then as we move into verse two, we find something we should desperately desire. Verse one, get rid of this. Verse two, desire this. What is it that we're supposed to desire? Yeah, he says, you know, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I think that's talking about the truth of of God's word and God's goodness and, and who God is. You know, the goodness of God is seen in verse three there. It, you know, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you've, if you've tasted it, you, you wanna, you're going to long for that like, like an infant who is totally dependent and needs that nourishment to, to, to survive. And I think that's part of what it means to be a born again person, someone who has this new life is that, you know, we, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have some things in our hearts uh, from uh, verse one, but the key difference between a person I think that is uh, born again and not born again is that the person who has this new life, they, they want they they hate their sin. They want to get rid of it because they've seen how good God is. And that doesn't mean we do that perfectly, but we're trying to get rid of all of it, like you were talking about, and longing for what is truly good for us, what's truly healthy and, and nourishing for us, which is God's pure spiritual uh, word, his his character, who who he is and Uh, what he has for us so that we can be obedient uh, to it in our lives. Yeah, Paul, Peter rather, uses the the word, word, so the word that we're supposed to, the pure milk of the word, he uses that word at the end of verse 23, talking about the living and enduring word of God. Then at the end of verse 25, he talks about the word which was preached to us. And then in verse two, we should long for, have a desire for, the pure milk of the word. We should have a desperate longing for scripture. And I would add just one thought to what you said, Andy. This is something that should be continual. You know, it's, uh, you think about a newborn baby longing for milk. It's not something that they do just one time a week. The the baby is crying. I'm going to go give it its bottle one time this week, and it's going to be good the rest of the week. Well, no, it's something Every day, multiple times a day, a newborn baby is going to be crying for milk, desiring that milk. As Christians, we should constantly and desperately desire the Word of God. How much time do I spend in Scripture? How much time do I spend with an open Bible, reading, thinking about, meditating on the Word, the good news that God has delivered to us, just like when a newborn baby drinks its mother's milk continually, it's going to grow as Christians whenever we long for and we fill ourselves with the pure milk of the word. Peter says we're going to grow in respect to salvation. If a baby, like you said, a baby is is, uh, dependent on a parent, it's dependent on somebody else. If that baby goes without milk, it's going to die. If we go without the word of God, don't be surprised to see us shrinking. It's kind of like the BBS song that we sing, right? That when we (laughs) neglect the word of God, we're uh, we're going to shrink. But whenever we spend time in prayer and in the word of God, we're going to grow. I think we find the latter part of that here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. When I continually desire the pure milk of the word, I'm going to grow in respect to salvation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's such an important point, you know, just this this continual aspect of of longing for God's word. And at some point it, it, it goes from from milk to meat, right? We see that in other parts of 
of scripture, but the, the idea is the same. You know, we're, we, we should be we continuously dependent, needing, um, nourishing ourselves with God's, God's truth. Um, you know, someone uh, was telling me one time that um, I, w- I was talking, I was, I think I was mentioning something about, you know, as a teacher, as a preacher, sometimes you wonder, like, if, if people are really remembering what you, what you say, or, you know, the things you're teaching from God's word. And he was, he was using this illustration and saying, um, you know, you probably don't remember what you ate for breakfast uh, two years ago or even two weeks ago, but you needed to eat them. You know, you needed to eat for that day. And that's kind of a similar idea here. Like all of us, we need, we need to eat today. We need uh, to, to be shaped and transformed by God's word and God's truth right now so that we can grow up into salvation and this is a this is kind of a, this, a similar idea of what we saw in in chapter one about uh the end of our faith the salvation um, of our souls we, we talked about how as we're born again we're saved like we have salvation but it's also it's, it's also this idea of like growing up into that like becoming the reality that that god has has already worked in our lives through through jesus and we're we're becoming more and more like Christ. I think about in Ephesians 4, this idea of, of growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we can, we can look like him and we can stand strong against uh, false teaching and against uh, bad character in our hearts like malice or deceit or hypocrisy or all these other things that, that creep in. And I, I should want to be a growing person. I should want to be a changed person so that I can stand firm and mature and look more and more like Christ until I, until I reach that ultimate day of salvation when he, when he comes again. Yeah, it's not something that I have to do. It's something that I want to do. I, this is something I desperately long for and growing up to that day when Jesus is going to return. The question in my mind, though, and maybe the question that Peter addresses in verse 3 is why. You know, we have these sinful attitudes in verse 1, these five attitudes that we're to put away and we're to get rid of them in their entirety. And then, like newborn babies, we're to long for the pure milk of the Word so that we can grow. But why do we do that? Is that some sense of obligation that we have? Is it something that we have to do? Is someone forcing us to do it? I think Peter gives us, The answer in verse three, the reason that we get rid of these sinful attitudes, the reason that we long for the word of God and we want to grow to be up to be like Jesus, to measure up to the fullness of his stature is because we have tasted that the Lord is good. Andy, have you ever been to Holiday World before? Uh, No, I can't say that I have. Okay, you haven't. Well, good. This illustration is going to work then. So, Andy, there's there's a wooden roller coaster at Holiday World called the voyage and it's a it's a really fun roller coaster it's 159 feet tall you drop about 154 of those feet in just a few seconds the top speed that you reach is 67 miles an hour and it's really long there's like 6442 feet of track i did my homework on that one you know i could sit here all day and i could describe to you what it's like to ride this roller coaster but you're not going to fully understand what it's like until you get on it yourself. I could tell you all these facts about the voyage, but until you get on it and you ride it and you experience it for yourself, you're never going to fully understand it. And I think it's the, the same idea here is true with Jesus, that the reason we let go of these sinful attitudes, the reason that we so desperately long for the word of God and we want to grow so much it's because I've tasted that the Lord is good. Like what the psalmist says in Psalms 33 and verse 8, he invites us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Whenever I do that, I don't have any other choice but to let go of these sinful attitudes. I don't have any other choice but to have this desperate longing in my heart for his word because I've tasted how good that the New American Standard says how kind he is. I know how good Jesus is. I know how he's blessed my life and it draws me back to him every single time. So I would suggest that this isn't 
an obligation. This is not someone holding a gun to me and saying, you have to get rid of these attitudes. You have to long for the word of God. This is not even doing those things because I feel threatened by hell. I'm doing these things. I'm letting go of these things because I have experienced for myself how amazing Jesus is. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really well said. It's not, it's not out of obligation. It's about this desire for the goodness of God. I like that. I like that illustration that you use about the, the roller coaster. It's almost kind of like, uh, it's kind of like racquetball too. If you know, you, you can tell me a lot about racquetball, but if you haven't played racquetball, then you, you haven't really lived. You know? Yeah, you haven't. Wow. You <laughs> found the perfect way to work that back in. That yeah, was pretty I just, impressive. I, just, I, I, had to bring, I had to bring it back in. That was impressive. I'm yeah. So but hey, the good point. It, yeah. If you've never played racquetball, you haven't lived. You haven't. I could tell you that it's living the life, but you've never actually lived the life till you play racquetball, apparently, right. in my 2012 brain. And right. uh, I guess the same is true with Jesus. I'm not sure if we're losing the metaphor here or not, Andy. Right, but right. but well, I, I, I hope that the audience gets our point. Yeah, infinitely more important, obviously, is experiencing the goodness of who God is. And I think, I think one of the reasons we often don't repent, maybe the only reason we don't repent or turn from our sin or get put all of that malice and envy a way that's in our hearts the reason we don't is because we we like our sin we love our sin and what what's gonna what's gonna cut through that what's gonna break the power of that sin in my heart in my life well it's got to be a superior joy it's got to be a superior goodness i've got to really believe that there's something better and if we've tasted if we've if we've gotten a little bit of of how great God is, which is infinitely great. If we've just gotten a little taste of it, we're gonna want we're gonna want more of it and more and more, and we're gonna be longing for it, like you're talking about. It's not an obligation. It's a it's a desire that's motivated from the depth of my heart that I want to I want to not just taste it. I wanna I wanna experience the fullness of the goodness of God. I think it really corresponds well with what we find in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Uh, whenever uh, Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, if you read through that text, Nathaniel was a little bit hesitant at the time. Can anything good come out of Nazareth is, I think, the, the question that he asked in John chapter 1. And you remember what Philip's invitation was? Just come and see. Come and experience what I've experienced. And of course, we know when we keep reading throughout John that Nathaniel ends up falling in love with Jesus and ends up following Jesus, not because somebody told him about Jesus, but because he experienced Jesus for himself. So I think that's the challenge from Peter for all of us. Uh, even Peter, he was brought by his brother Andrew to come and experience Jesus for the very first time. And from that point forward, continued to follow him. That's the passage right before, I think, uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse, verses 35 through 42. Andrew just told him, come and see. Um, so any other thoughts on this before we keep going into uh, verses 4 through 10? Yeah, I'm sure a lot more could be said, but I think, I think that sums it up uh, pretty well, what you said there. Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and read verses 4 through 10. Um, since I made you read verses 1 through 3, Andy, I, I can read verses 4 through 10. Oh, that's, that's and, kind uh, of you. Yeah, I'm doing it all for you, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, we'll begin in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, going through verse number 10. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." 
For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, looking at these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, I think if we walk through every single verse, phrase for phrase, like we did verses 1 through 3, Andy, we might hold our listeners a little bit too long. Uh, so how about we reduce these verses to, I think, three main questions that are answered and three main questions that are so powerful in verses 4 through 10. Question number one, Andy, let's discuss this. In verses 4 through 10, who is Jesus? We already saw in verse 3, we have tasted his goodness and we return back to him time and time again. But what does, what does Peter say about Jesus, both how he's viewed negatively and positively in this passage of Scripture? Yeah, the first thing, as you come to him, he says he's a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and I think this, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but this really plays into this exile idea, but, but Jesus himself was an outcast, rejected, but he's a, he's a living stone, and we might wonder what that, that means, but I think we get a, a little bit greater idea from that quotation uh, from Isaiah, I believe it is, in verse 6, that, you know, he is the cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I think this is this is an image to, to show the um, how Jesus is the foundation of what God is building in the world. He is the foundation of all that's good. This uh, spiritual uh, temple that that God um, is building. He's the one on which we stand. This firm rock that that we have, and he was he's rejected by many, but he's chosen and precious in the sight of God for this great. A purpose that, that God uh, had for him. Yes, uh, Jesus, he is a living stone, but not just any stone. He's the cornerstone. In the first century world, a cornerstone was, of course, a big stone that would join two walls together and support a majority of the weight of those two walls. If you remove the cornerstone, the two walls would no longer be joined. And they would also crumble and fall because nothing was supporting them. So, you know, Paul uses this in, in books like Ephesians to talk about how Jesus is the one who is joined together. He's the one who supports both Jew and Gentile in the church, two very different groups coming together. But here we have this spiritual house that's being built up. Jesus is a living stone. He is chosen and precious for some, but rejected by others. He's the cornerstone. As we keep reading in verse number eight, we find for some people, he is a stone of stumbling. So, so for some, we find two really two different groups here. For some, he's chosen and precious. For some, he's rejected. For some, he's a cornerstone. For others, he is, verse number eight, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So for some people, he's not the stone that supports everything and holds everything together, he's the stone that they're, they're tripping over. Now, when you're walking, and if you're clumsy like me, it seems like I can trip over anything. But if you're not looking, this is actually how I broke my pinky toe, Andy. Uh, I'll go ahead and I've, I've been embarrassed already in this podcast episode. I'll just go ahead and embarrass myself. Just get it out um, there. <laughs> I, yeah, I broke my pinky toe by running barefoot right into a rock end up just breaking that, that one toe. Um, yeah. So for some people, Jesus is that stone of stumbling, the stone that you trip over, but for some, for, for others, he is this chief cornerstone that is uh, chosen and precious in God's sight. Okay. Uh, is there anything else we want to mention about Jesus here? Yeah, and just just quickly add on based yes. on the last thing what you said there. You know, I just love that contrast. You know, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, 
chosen and precious. You know, like you can you can handle. You know, it's hard to be rejected, and I, I know that must have been difficult for Jesus to face. But if we're firmly rooted in what and how God sees us, that that makes it all worth it. Like you can endure that. Um, you know, if 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 we're seen in the sight of God as chosen and precious, I think that's going to play in to what we're going to talk about in a little bit about you know who we are. But I just wanted to point that out and highlight that again about you know who God sees Jesus to be and uh, how he views him um, in contrast to how men rejected him. Yeah, let's go ahead and make that transition. I think this is a good place. So question number one, who is Jesus? Question number two, who are we? We see Jesus's identity. Now, how does that play into our identity? How does that play into who we are? Well, let's mention this and Uh, Andy, I'll let you mention a little bit about this, that in verse number five, the well, verse four, Jesus is a living stone. Verse number five, we are living stones. So what does that say about Jesus' identity and our identity and how they relate to each other? Yeah, we're connected to him as we're being built up as a spiritual house. Verse, verse 5 there, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. But we, we get our identity from the cornerstone, from, from Jesus. As we were talking about, you know, we, we build our lives on who he is because, as we talked about in verse 3, we've tasted that he is good. And, and being that spiritual house, that we, we, we become this, this place where, God dwells. I think that's kind of the idea here, kind of the, the idea of being uh, the, the place where, where God's presence is, is seen, the, like, like the temple. And, and we are that as God's people. We, we are the, the dwelling place for God. And that's, that's all, of course, rooted in who God is and who Jesus is specifically as that living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And I think Peter is reminding these struggling Christians who are being persecuted, who are being rejected, that you can you can endure this, you can face this suffering because look at look at your Lord. Look at Jesus who who was was also rejected, but he is chosen and precious, just like you are also chosen and precious because of what he has done for you, because of he is what he has made you to be and so that's that's a great foundation for life but also just facing you know the rejection that we sometimes face because of who we are in Jesus that would be such a powerful reminder to Christians who are experiencing the difficulty that Peter's readers are like we talked about back in chapter one for a while now they've been grieved by various trials they're being persecuted they're being rejected they're being slandered and so a reminder that says hey who you are is directly tied to who Jesus is and what you're going through is tied to what he went through Um, of course this is not suggesting that Jesus is actually a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense this is this is not his fault but it's those who are disobedient's fault we find at the end of verse number eight that they stumble over Jesus because they're disobedient to the word in verse number eight. If you're disobedient to the word, then of course, doom is going to come upon you. If I live a life that's disobedient to Jesus, doom has been appointed to me. But I I love that parallel there about Jesus is a living stone. And then verse number five, you are living stones. He continues on to talk about how we are a spiritual house. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 3.15 that says that, the household of God is the church of the living God. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one in su- supporting and holding together this house, this spiritual house that God is making. And each one of us individually are living stones within it. This is not a house that is dead, that's going to stand for a little while, but then ultimately fall. But this is a house that is made up of living stones that are active and vibrant. We are 
not just the stones in this spiritual house being built, but we're also the good serving in that house. So we could spend a lot of time here talking about the priesthood of all believers and how as we serve under our high priest Jesus, each one of us are priests offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Uh, so that's what Peter really says about our identity. This is who we are. Who is Jesus directly informs us about who we are and who we are, as we'll see in just a few minutes, determines what we do. Uh, Andy, would you like to walk us through some of the thoughts in verse nine about our identity? Uh, this is a pretty popular verse in verse nine about where he says you are. And then he fills in with some pretty powerful words. What does Peter have to say there? Yeah, yeah. I, I want before we do that, I just want to jump back just to verse six for a second, and like just okay. this beautiful promise that we have. You know, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, you're experiencing shame now, you're experiencing rejection now. But if you build your life on Christ, you will not be put to shame. And that's, again, that's based in our identity. And that I think that connects us well to verse 9 of what you're talking about, which is, like you said, a great verse, beautiful verse saying, you know, this is who we are. And uh, Peter tells us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Man, just... That I mean, you can't you can't get any better than that of of who you of who we want to be. You know that we're we're chosen. Everyone wants to be chosen. We've got this great status. We've got this great calling. Just to to kind of break down a, a little bit. We that chosen race. We're a chosen people. And the amazing thing about God's chosen people in the church is that you know it's it's across all races, across all ethnic identities god is calling a people to himself through jesus christ and then the second idea a royal priesthood this is what israel was called to be in the old testament a kingdom of priests we see this idea uh in other places in the new testament as well but a priest was god's representative to the people and the people's representative to god and that's that's part of what we ought to be. We are. We are priests in that we we re are representatives. We're images of God to the world. And then finally, this idea of a of a holy nation or a holy kingdom, a people that belong to God. I think that one is so so important for us to think through um, our identity um, as God's people. I think we can look around at the nations of. Uh, this world and maybe even the nation that we live in and be really discouraged that our nation isn't holy like it ought to be or that the people or the people governing aren't uh, holy. But it's it's not like God's purposes are thwarted if if some uh, political state is, is not holy because God already has a holy nation. That's us. That's the people who belong to Jesus Christ, who've been born again, who trust in him. So, you know, we're the, we're the representatives of God uh, to the world. And that, that so shapes who we are and, and what we do. I know I've kind of gone on for a long time there, but I love that that passage. What what insights do you have to add for us, Tyler? Yeah, hey, that was all that was all great, man. You talk as long as you want to. Um, I think it's interesting that Peter here uses different terms and different phrases that once defined Israel, phrases and words that were at one time in the Old Testament used to define Israel are now used to define who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus. For instance, a chosen race, compare that with Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 5, a royal priesthood, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, a holy nation, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, a people for God's own possession, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. And then we move into verse 10. Who are we? We are the people of God, 
we are those who have received mercy. We'll compare that with Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23. We have these Old Testament passages, Old Testament phrases that were used to describe Israel that are used to describe us, who we are, what our identity is as followers of Jesus. So, again, just to take a step back here for just a second. Question number one, who is Jesus? Well, we see who Jesus is in this text. And that directly informs who we are. Jesus's identity informs our identity. Who we are is based solely on Jesus is. I think sometimes we try to find our identity in what we do. For instance, I could say, I'm a runner. That's my identity. I'm a preacher or Andy is a preacher. That's our identity. Well, no, our identity is found solely in Jesus. Who we are is completely dependent on who Jesus is. Andy, if you're ready to move forward, I think there's one more question that we need to address in this passage. Uh, yeah. It kind of completes the circle. So who is Jesus? We answered that. Who are we? We answered that. Peter answered those questions for us. Now, based on that, it's a stair-step argument. What do we do? What kind of lives do we live? What does Peter have to say about that in First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10? Yeah, so through Christ, God has purchased, he's secured this chosen people, this holy nation. But it's not like, it's not, it's not like he just, he, he okay, we've got this group of uh, people now. I, what are we going to, what, what are they supposed to do? He, he had a purpose all along. And we see that clearly in, in verse 9, this really high calling, vocation, job, whatever you want to call it, that, that God wants us to do. You know, you're a people for his own possession, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I, lo I love that. You know, we, we, are, we are made as a people, as God's people, to proclaim his excellencies. And I think we do that with our words, but also with our lives you know we 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 didn't do anything to be deserving of being chosen to being royal kingly sons and daughters living stones and yet this is what god has made us to be and he's changing us and because i am unworthy of that because of my sin and god has made me worthy and chosen that shows how great god is it, it shows how excellent he is. And, and as I see the, the difference that God has made in my life through Christ and through his spirit, I, I now am, am highly motivated to proclaim his excellencies, to tell how great he is. Because I've tasted that the Lord is good, thinking back to verse 3, I want to now proclaim that to everyone. Why? Well, because he, he called me out of darkness when I was blind when I couldn't see anything when I when I when I, I didn't even know right from wrong essentially or I did or I chose the darkness I love the darkness and he's brought me into his marvelous light that's that's who we are once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you not received mercy you have now received mercy I think when I think about you know, the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and the envy and the slander that is often in my my heart and has been in my heart. And I see the forgiveness and the mercy that, that God offers to me in Jesus. That makes me want to proclaim His excellencies. And I think all of this is working together to show us, you know, the kind of people that, that we ought to be. Amen. Yeah. Tell people about how awesome Jesus is based on what he has done in your life, based on this transformation that you've experienced. I, I would take us back to verse 5, too, and also mention that as a holy priesthood, by the way that we live on a daily basis, just like priests would offer up physical sacrifices to God in the temple, as Christians, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that we are to lay our lives down as living sacrifices that are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. I heard 
Justin Rogers, a professor at Fred Hardman, one time say this. I don't think it's original with him. He said, uh, the problem with living sacrifices is that they're always trying to crawl off the altar. And maybe sometimes we experience that in our own lives, not just that we are the priest offering up the sacrifice, but our very life in Romans chapter 12 is the sacrifice that is to be offered up. I love how Peter says that we are the holy priesthood who offers up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These are sacrifices that are acceptable to the Father. It's not about me. It's not about the sacrifice that I want to offer up. It's not about what I want to give to him, but I'm offering something to God that is going to be acceptable to him, something that's going to be pleasing to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we back up and we look at verses 4 through 10, I think through the lens of these three questions, what we learn is so insightful. We see who Jesus is, and then we see that Jesus's identity informs our identity. Who he is determines who we are. And then who we are determines what we do. Who we are in Jesus is what determines how we live on a daily basis, how we talk about Jesus, the kind of sacrifices that we offer up to God. I think sometimes we get that out of order. Sometimes we just want to, like we mentioned this last week, sometimes we just want to control our behavior. Well, I just want to talk about who Jesus is, and, and I want to, to offer up these spiritual sacrifices, but I still have all of this malice in my heart, or I haven't really tasted and experienced Jesus. What we do is based on who we are, and who we are is based on who Jesus is. Do you want to know what your identity is? Do you want to know what your purpose is as a human being? I think it's that right there. Here's Jesus. That makes me who I am. And then who I am through Jesus is why I do what I do. Andy, any closing thoughts on this passage? Yeah, very, very well said. I think, I think you really, um, you know, captured the heart of, of what's going on there. I just wanted to, you know, kind of reflect on, on that idea of, you know, spiritual sacrifices that you're, talking talking about and i think what as you were saying from from romans 12 is that what what does god want for us he 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 wants he wants our our lives you know he wants our our hearts he wants us to love him um with all our heart soul mind and strength you know even even as you think about the old testament system of sacrifice we see throughout the prophets that you know even though god had commanded uh, these literal physical sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and other things, even then what he truly wanted was the hearts of the people. You know, he wanted them, you know, I'm thinking about Micah uh, 6, you know, what, what, is God, what does God require of, of us as people? Well, to, to live, live justly and, and walk humbly with, with, with God. You know, he wants, he wants us to live our lives um, in a way that's shaped by his character and is devoted to him and love to him and service uh, to him. And I think that's, that's something that we see all throughout Scripture uh, is especially true of what God wants for us. He wants to, us to give up our lives uh, for him so that the world may see his glory, may see his mercy um, uh, evident uh, in us. So... Um, really just powerful thoughts uh, from God's word um, in chapter two. Yeah, Andy, thanks for your thoughts, man. I appreciate walking through this passage like I've appreciated the last couple of weeks as we've been, as we've been studying through first Peter. I know this has had a, a great impact on my life, being able to walk through this together. And I hope that some of our listeners are able to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah Before we, Really, I just want to say I really appreciate yeah. your insights, Tyler. I've really enjoyed it as well. And, and like you said, I hope, I hope it's uh, helpful to other people also. Before we sign off, like we have the last few weeks, as our custom has been, we want to offer something practical. We want to offer a challenge from this text in First Peter 4 through 10. Andy and I discussed it a little bit before we hit the big red record button, and we'd like to share it with you. Andy, it's your week. Uh, so share with us our challenge for 
uh, the next seven days before yeah, we come yeah, back we together. Get, yeah, this is a this is a great challenge. It's sometimes a hard thing to do, but it's a wonderful thing to do. It's a beautiful thing to do it and it's what we're it's what we're made for you know it's what god created us to do and it's based on what we were thinking about in in verse nine about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and that idea of verse three you know tasting that the lord is good the challenge from that is just tell one person about jesus this week talk about how great jesus is how how good God has been to your life. I think sometimes we get intimidated because about evangelism or, or reaching out to other people because we don't know exactly what to say. We don't. We we think maybe we don't know enough. We don't have enough Bible knowledge. We're not a scholar. But all we, all God's asking us to do is proclaim His excellencies. Tell, tell someone how good God is. You, if you've tasted that, you can tell someone about that. Isn't, isn't God great? Isn't, it, isn't the world he made beautiful? Isn't his mercy precious? Um, so that's the challenge for us this week. Tell one person um, in your life about the goodness of God. Brag on Christ and his excellencies this week. And we'll, we'll try to do that as well because that's so important for us all to really be intentional about doing yeah, there's certainly a lot to brag on. You know, one thing, one way you might be able to go about that is uh, by sharing this podcast with someone. We appreciate you listening to the Streams of Water Bible Study podcast and being a part of this community and going through this study with us. We hope that uh, if you haven't already, that you'll join our Facebook group, uh, our private Facebook group that we have where we can further discuss these things from first peter if you have a question or a comment or a suggestion for a future episode we'd love to hear from you at our email you'll hear in just a few seconds as the podcast episode closes out andy thanks again for that great challenge i imagine that think about the difference we could make if each of us were to just talk to one person about jesus over the next week wouldn't that be amazing amen absolutely Andy, good to be with you. Looking forward to next week. Yeah, always, always really enjoy it. Always get a lot out of it. And um, really just thankful to uh, be encouraged by, by you and by you know God's word, especially and how good that we, we see he is. And uh, looking forward to uh, another episode next week. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. There you go. To our listeners, thanks again for being a part of this and stay away from my Facebook page. We'll close with that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. Or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.